Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Welcome to the EduTrends podcast and videocast, brought to you by the Institute for the Future of Education of Tecnológico de Monterrey. I am your host, Jose Pepe Escamilla, IFE Associate Director. In this episode, I met with Ángel Cabrera, president of the Georgia Institute of Technology. We talk about how Georgia Tech adapted to the COVID-19 crisis. We discuss their new technology tools and projects regarding educational and innovation. Also, Ángel told us what's next for Georgia Tech and the future of higher education. Enjoy. Hola, Ángel. Hi, Ángel. Welcome to this episode of EduTrends podcast and webcast produced by the Institute for the Future of Education of Tecnológico Monterrey. I'm delighted to have you here uh, today and uh, talking about what has happened during the last year and a half of the pandemic. Uh, do you think that the changes that have uh, we have had during the last year and a half will last? Uh, should we rethink higher education after COVID? Well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for for having me, and and most importantly, thank you for what Tecnológico de Monterrey uh, has done and continues to to do to uh, really innovate in higher education. As you know, I've been in in one way or another uh, connected with Tecnológico and and always admired uh, the capacity of of this institution to to innovate and to to challenge the the status quo. So. Uh, I can't think of a better institution to to lead this conversation. And so, to to your question, absolutely. I mean, the the COVID COVID has been obviously not nobody uh, uh, would have liked to have such a nightmare that that we just went through. But there are some silver linings, and and I think one of them is that COVID has already accelerated a new wave of innovation in. In, in higher education. I mean, think about it. M many of our institutions were forced to, to shift in the entire education portfolio online, in our case, uh, within the span of two weeks. If, I, if anyone had asked me what it would take to, uh, for Georgia Tech to shift all of our classes online, I would have said, well, you know, maybe give me five years and, and, a, and a few million dollars to plan and prepare. And instead, it's like, how about you have two weeks, uh, go do it. And it's not just uh, some classes is the entire portfolio. We did it. And um, all those discussions about remote and this and that all of a sudden went um, and fell by the by the wayside and, and we had to do it. So so the acceleration of, of innovation that, that that this moment has created in higher education is just simply unbelievable and, and profound. But but it, some of it in unexpected ways, isn't it? I mean, we, for example, many many faculty members who had not uh, done any remote teaching have now discovered how much you can do using using technology. But we've also discovered how much uh, you do in a physical setting that we miss when we use technology. But it's making us, I think, more aware of what the physical classroom is good for and what technology is good for. And I think what we're going to see, we're already seeing that is a new wave of combinations of, of, uh, of physical spaces and technology and new, new forms of education that also allow us to, to reach further. There are many other surprises that we've had. For example, we, 
remember in the first wave of uh, of the internet and we thought that technology was going to democratize access to education that was the big promise of the internet and it turns out that in many many institutions like georgia tech when we had to send students home it turns out that all of a sudden uh, students had very very unequal um, settings to to access education and uh, whereas when, when students are on our campus on our very old-fashioned traditional campuses everybody has access to the very same resources and the same technology when students go home things are very different if you come from a middle class or a high middle class uh, family and you have your own space and your uh, broadband connection to access internet versus students who may have in high density uh, households without appropriate access to to the internet so we we've learned a, a lot not just about how to use technology but how to use our campuses and also some of the sort of the the underlying inequalities that we were not uh, fully assessing or addressing uh, before before covid thank you uh, angel yes the, the the digital divide has been there for all this time and we have somehow uh, uh, neglected uh, that digital uh, divide uh, that is not only the access of internet but is the the quality of the access that you have to internet no the uh, not only the wideband but the equipment and the conditions in uh, in in and around your house yeah then uh, with uh, with all these changes do you foresee uh, for instance that georgia tech will be the same after the pandemic uh, and uh, i'm i'm talking about for instance, regarding um, delivery modes of courses, no. Uh, if we talk simplifying, we talk about face-to-face, -face, online, uh, hybrid. Uh, how similar that mix of uh, modalities will be to what Georgia Tech had was um, around before the start of the pandemic in January 2020, for instance. Yeah, that, that's a great. I listen. I. I... I think there's no doubt there's going to be a before and after and after uh, COVID, right? This is like a, a BC before before COVID and, uh, and and after COVID. These are two different worlds in, in, in higher education. Well, one of the things we're, we're learning, I mean, you know, after the experience we've had in the last 18 months, if, uh, if you ask a student to go into a classroom just to be lectured at, um, you know that many are not going to just have the the patience or they or, or they interested to to show in 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 to to just do a classroom right and and in fact we've seen that in in some aspects uh, technology is superior to the so-called real thing right I mean if you if you if I put a, a lecture online if you are tired you can pause me or you can rewind me you can go to the bathroom, get yourself a cup of coffee, whatever you need to do, things you cannot do in a physical space. So we're now learning uh, to, to, to combine those technologies. We, we have a faculty member, the Dean of our College of Computing, Charles Isbell, and, um, and, and, and a colleague, uh, Dave Rainer, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that teaches in the, in the college with them. They have published a book called The Distributed Classroom. And that's when they begin to to address these learnings from from COVID, and and when they um, when they propose in, is is a is a mode in which we can just look at the sort of the portfolio of technologies uh, that are available to us, including the physical classroom as a technology itself, and instead of just having this old dichotomy before COVID between 
remote versus in class and which one is better. I think what we're now entering is an era where we're just going to see the whole portfolio of, uh, of technologies at our disposal, and we're going to combine them in a way that maximizes whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish. In some cases, it will be maximizing access. I mean, we're no longer used to be, well, your classes Tuesdays and Thursdays at 9.30. And if you cannot be there, you've missed the class. That's no longer the case. The expectations of the students have changed uh, uh, dramatically. So, so we can now picture classes where some students are taking the class physically. Some people are taking the class remotely. Some people are moving between formats. Um, and there are many, many ways. I mean, I think a good a good metaphor uh, is is almost like what what Peloton is doing in uh, in the world of uh, physical exercise at home, right? You could be in a studio with a gym professor taking a class physically. You can be doing it remotely at home. You can tape it and do it later. But there are ways in which you can still create uh, social connectivity between them. So. Uh, Again, there, there are new formats that are emerging. We, we were fortunate at Georgia Tech because of the experience we've had with the online master's programs. And we use that experience to create a remote teaching academy for, for faculty to help them give the tools. But again, this was a year of just doing whatever it took to go through the pandemic. I think now we're entering a phase of, of, of innovation and, and just trying new, uh, new things that can hopefully get us in a much better place. Yes, as you say, this is this was an emergency response no, for the, the pandemic. It was not planned and done, done uh, systemically uh, so that we engage all the right pieces, methods, and actors for, for this. But it has allowed us to test uh, things. And, and for instance, regarding just what you say on hybrid modes that are flexible, that let you attend or not, the classroom, we have seen that uh, students uh, that register in a high hybrid mode course, uh, sometimes they say that they do that because they want to go to the campus and be physically on the campus, but, but uh, later they don't show up in the courses and they decide to take them uh, at a distance. And, uh, and there's a lot of uh, reflection around that because as uh, as you know, uh, text-demonstrated educational model is very interactive, and uh, uh, so uh, that is hard for the faculty member to plan something that is face-to-face -face and then do that uh, at a distance or engage the students at the same time. So it has been a challenging. I think there are a lot of things that we have to learn to understand uh, better the value of face-to-face, -face so that the students uh, wake up, take a bath and go to the classroom to be there at 8 or 7.30 instead of taking the course on his pyjamas or her pyjamas. Yeah, but that, that's, a very good, that's a very good point. I, I, in fact, uh, uh, what I believe is that a lot of the innovation that we're going to see um, in the post-COVID world is going to be innovation on how to use the classroom. It's not just innovation on how to use technology. It's innovation on how to use the classroom. It's forcing us. If you're going to bring me at 9.30 to a physical space, with all the, the the logistics and i'm going to have to use public transportation or whatever i mean it, there is a lot of effort involved for someone to actually go to that physical space it better be worth my while and it's going to force us to rethink what even physical spaces are used how they are they're used 
Yes, yes. I, I, it's an interesting reflection. It's the first time that I heard that. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, it's uh, something that we have to think about how to engage the students in the classroom and in the campus. No? How we make uh, going to the campus in general, not only the classroom experience, something that is memorable or interesting. And uh, we, we, I think that we all agree in higher education that we have to go, not go back to what we have, but go to something that is better and change. Uh, and, and I would like to ask you, uh, from your leadership position, what are the challenges that you see to achieve that dream of uh, going to something that is better? What, what, what do you think it is? Well, you know, we, we have, like, uh, we're a highly uh, regulated industry, right? In, in every country, we have, uh, we have systems of regulations that have evolved uh, for another era. And some of those regulations just don't apply. I mean, just think about accreditation. And uh, in fact, I, I know that uh, Tech de Monterrey voluntarily goes through accreditation in the U.S. as well. Well, accreditation rules use things like credit hour. And credit hour is number of hours that you are sitting in a classroom with a faculty member. That's, that's what, that's what, uh, what underlies the whole uh, process of accreditation. And many regulations in the, in the United States at the federal level are based on, on, on that model. I mean, that's just one example of, uh, of if you will, of, 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 of barrier. We used to have a bigger barrier more in terms of our own culture, uh, the academic culture of the university. I think uh, COVID has changed that quite a bit. I think even, even folks who used to be more skeptical about the use of technology now uh, with this very hands-on uh, experience, I think that they may have changed that, that, that attitude. But the, the overall structure of, of, of courses and accreditation and, and certifications, and I mean, that continues to be, uh, to, to, to be a barrier for, for some of this. I know um, most of the organizations know this and they're working in sort of creating more, but, uh, more sort of more flexible, if you will, uh, structures, but that's going to continue to be, uh, uh, to be uh, a constraint. But, um, you know, I, I think all in all, um, those are things that can be can be sorted out. I think that the cultural shift in the university is much harder, and, and I think that's that's what I'm very optimistic about this post-COVID world. I, I'll tell you, in, in the case of Georgia Tech, uh, about six years ago when we started the masters of uh, of the online masters in computer science, it uh, was a huge shift. By the way, at the time I was not president. I was I was, uh, but as an alum, I served on the on the advisory board. So I was, you know, I was somewhat seeing it from uh, from the outside. But the biggest, so in these programs, by the way, the Online Masters in Computer Science uh, is now the largest program of its kind anywhere in the world. And, and together with the uh, computer science, data analytics, and cybersecurity, we have over 16,000 students doing their masters at, uh, at, at Georgia Tech. At the time, it, the, the biggest obstacle was the, the, the culture, uh, lots of questions raised about are these programs going to somehow damage the reputation of Georgia Tech? Is the, the quality of the learning, the standards are going to be sort of watered down? Um, how can you ups, uh, give a degree to someone who has not experienced kind of the traditions and the, the, the physical space on, on, on our campus? Is it cannibalize our traditional uh, programs and they're gonna disappear? And there were lots of fears that were, and, and lots of beliefs that were very, very strong. And instead, 
what we have had is uh, is a huge success. I mean, uh, we were able to lower the cost of nutrition is a fraction of what the traditional program is. Uh, it has not damaged the, the traditional program that continues to, to, to thrive, but it has opened it up to a whole bunch of learners who otherwise wouldn't have been able to, to come. So, but it was that cultural piece that was the biggest, the biggest barrier. And, and that was the reason why Georgia Tech finally succeeded. Thank you. So uh, it will be uh, those, those challenges could be summarizing uh, normativity or those uh, accreditors that in, in, in other countries, like in Latin America, the uh, minister or secretary of education has also a lot of regulations that we have to follow. And, uh, and I, I agree with you that sometimes those, those regulations make uh, universities to be more uniform. They, they, are, they cannot differ between themselves. They cannot innovate. Because they have to follow very strict rules, no? Uh, sometimes, and the second one is this culture. I would say also awareness and acceptance uh, of, uh, of break, breaking paradigms, no? Of, of, of online learning that is very important. I also believe that uh, the the crisis, uh, the pandemic, has also shifted the minds of uh, students uh, in in awareness in the use of distance education, I've seen some statistics of students that around 30% of them, they would love to continue learning online. So uh, we weren't able to see them or hear them or they just realized that it's, it's good for them now because they can learn uh, at a distance, particularly for um, uh, older students that work or have family family issues. No, but, but very interesting uh, answer, Angela. Yeah. No, uh, is, I, I, that, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're, those, those statistics are very interesting. And I suspect that even it's not just going to be some students prefer A, some students prefer B, but the very same student uh, will change because of personal circumstances. Exactly. I mean, you you may go to a campus and, and there are functions that are physical campuses, uh, the roles that they play, that will be very, very hard to do in an online setting. Many of our students they uh, they're 18 when they move in to a dorm this is the first time they 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 live away from from home there is a process of of personal maturity of, of, of for the first time trying to to determine your own your own life of of growing up of, of making friends of making decisions of, be, of there's a whole set of intangibles that are hugely important but if one student maybe maybe moving in at age 18 and then all of a sudden on their second year, they are going to study abroad, but they're still now engaging using online tools to complete some requirements uh, back at home. And maybe the third year they do a co-op and they will go work for, for, a, uh, for a company and they continue to engage in class in a different ways. And maybe on the fourth year, they, they return full-time uh, to campus. So the, the circumstances really will change. And after you graduate and, and all of a sudden, you, you have a family, you have a job. So uh, I, I, what's exciting is that is that technology just increases uh, all, the, all the degrees of freedom just tremendously. Yeah, so it means uh, giving give more flexibility to our program so that we can match the fluidity of the needs of the students during their That's during right. Their life, no? That's exactly right. right. As you know, we launched the Institute for the Future of Education right in the middle of the pandemic, and it has been a very rewarding experience. 
but also very challenging. Uh, I know that you also have launched GT Atrium recently. Can you tell us what it is and what are the challenges you faced? Yeah, well, so so we we have um, um, a center. It's called actually we we may need to change that name because it was the Center for Twenty First Century Universities. Maybe now it should be Center for Twenty Second Century Universities. So I don't know, but but it's uh, maybe maybe a little bit similar to to what you're doing at Tech de Monterrey, which is um, you know it, so Georgia Tech is an is a very highly uh, it's a research intense university. We're one of the most research intense universities in the in the country. We bring in about a, a 1.2 billion dollars a year in, in research grants, spanning in, you know any any kind of discipline in engineering, and sciences, and all the fields that, that you can that you can imagine. And yet, I think the the, the critical, the self-critical assessment was, oh my gosh, we're you know we're contributing to revolutionizing technologies and, and science and industries all over the place. How about our own activities, right? So, so we created uh, the the Center for 21st Century Universities precisely to try to apply our very capacity of, of, of developing new technologies and new models and innovating to our own activity as, as a university. And um, there's a whole uh, uh, bunch of innovations that have come out, uh, come out of this of, of this effort, including, of course, the online masters that I that just mentioned, including other, other tools, including uh, some of the early applications of uh, artificial intelligence to, to tracking the learning of students Anyway, one one of the but not all the innovations are technology based. I mean, one of the innovations, the one you alluded to, the atrium, is our is one of our attempts to start innovating with physical spaces. So instead of saying, "Oh, we're you know Georgia Tech is going to open a a campus in in let's say in the Silicon Valley," we we have thousands of, of alumni who work in 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 Northern California in the in the high tech industry, as you can imagine. But, uh, and we have and we have hundreds of students who are engaged in the online program who are working for companies in the tech industry in California. Do we need a campus? Well, our answer is probably a campus is not what we need, but let's figure out a, a, a space that complements that experience, a space that can lead to um, it, it, think of, about a like a we work, but instead of a we work would be a we learn. A, a collaborative learning space where you can come in at different points during the program and, and, and meet up with, with colleagues and, and have a sense of community that complements your online experience. So we're rethinking what that space is. And it's definitely not going to be a traditional campus. We don't need another campus. We have a wonderful campus in Atlanta to do to to, to play that 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 role. Um, but what we are envisioning is is a network of uh, of these Georgia Tech atriums in Northern California, in uh, in Seattle. We, I mean, in hubs where we have a high concentration of of alums and uh, online students to serve the needs of that community in different ways. Okay, great. And are you envisioning to do that for um, uh, undergrads or graduates only? No, it will be open to anybody. Uh, I think the. The most immediate support will be offered to students who are doing their mass, their online masters, right? But um, but because of the locations where we have lots of online students, correspond to the locations where we have lots of alumni, it is entirely possible that we're going to have undergraduate students who are doing their internship with Google or Facebook, 
and who are still using this as the place where they go to continue their, their education. So it's gonna be all of the above, although the driver, initial driver is mm -hmm. gonna be the online masters. Uh, we're very interested in move, so that, that will be also part of how to uh, take advantage of the physical spaces that you were talking about just a few minutes ago. That's right, that's right. But, but, but to design the space from the ground up uh, in a way that supports these new forms of, of learning, that's, that's the idea. Great. I, I also read about um, uh, the interest that Georgia Tech has uh, in student engagement. And, and uh, I, I understand that you develop a, a, a tool that uh, helps the faculty member to almost measure in real time uh, the student progress uh, and to take uh, actions around that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, we one of the issues that you have with, uh, with, with remote teaching is that it's a lot harder to capture the level of engagement of the student. When you're meeting again, when you're meeting on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and it's not always possible because sometimes if it's a large uh, uh, one of those large lecture halls, this may not be possible. But with sm smaller cohorts, the instructor has a better sense of who's engaging and who's not. Uh, there was a very interesting article recently in one of the the uh, higher education uh, newspapers in, in in the U.S. that talked about the faculty member that uses humor, which is we even if we're not aware of. Sometimes humor is a great way to, to check whether people are engaged or not. Are they are they responding? Are they reacting? Are they are they engaged? Right. So whether intentionally or not, we use lots of mechanisms in the traditional setting to test whether students are engaged. When you are teaching remotely, many of those mechanisms fail miserably. Uh, you don't know what people are doing. Uh, some of them may even turn off their cameras, or even if you're doing synchronous teaching, many of those signals fail. And in the traditional teaching, you, you use mostly low frequency, high stakes feedback, right? So you, you give tests and you give tests with low frequency and the stakes are high because the students are, um, you know, are being examined, their grades depends on it. We're moving from, from that from low, for, to high frequency, low stakes. We've created just a, a simple tool that is available in our uh, LMS, which is um, KPI, Key Performance Indicator, that allows the faculty to do that. It's just very few items that you can ask that the student can respond to every single day. It's very easily available on the, on, and it gives a dashboard to the faculty member to complement what's missing in the remote teaching. Um, and and that, that's an area, by the way, that I think is ripe for great innovation. I think that's an area where we're going to see the, the, the use and the leveraging of, uh, of artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, algorithms, right, is to, to detect student engagement, to anticipate issues of students who may be about to, to drop out, or students that are somehow falling through the, through the cracks. There's something about the physical, in a way, there's something about the physical space, the, the traditional classroom that we didn't anticipate was crucial about the physical classroom. And it is that sense of engagement and discipline. You have to show up. You cannot drift off. There's a sense of uh, response that is expected of you. So, so we're, we're, we're learning unexpected weaknesses, if you will, of remote that, that we, we are trying to compensate for. 
Yeah. I, I've also heard that uh, many faculty members complain that uh, not having the students in the classroom uh, is difficult because they lost all the information that uh, visual uh, corporal, corporal language, uh, the, the language of body your body language, yeah. Yeah. will give you. Uh, and, uh, and, I, uh, and I think that we have to compensate uh, that when you're um, teaching synchronously online and uh, what you're doing with that uh, KPI tool is interesting. I, we also have people here in the university that are studying how to, uh, how can we uh, uh, evaluate or assess uh, emotions of students uh, through visual uh, tools, no? recognition of the faces. Yeah. And uh, they have found that there's also uh, a right amount of stress for learning. So it's, uh, when you're learning, it's good to struggle a little bit, not much. It's right. not good not to be there, and it has to be like waves. You know, there's a certain like a mm -hmm. cycle that you have to follow to be there. And apparently, there it, it seems that it's uh, feasible uh, to measure that and to give right. you a dashboard also of uh, how your students are in that moment in terms of that cycle. You know? Yeah, yeah, fascinating. And that's stuff that we cannot do uh, in a classroom because you're not gathering data of uh, of faces. I mean, just the amount of data that we can collect using these tools is uh, is just amazing. It's, it's something that uh, you can do better remotely than face to face. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm going to change uh, a little bit here the the, the subject, and um, I I know that. Um, uh, Recently, uh, you uh, had a University Global Coalition virtual gathering, and uh, you're very engaged in that uh, University Global Coalition. I know that during the pandemic, universities have realized that collaboration is more important than ever, that they, they have to cooperate. Um, can you tell us what is the University Global Coalition? Well, the, the University Global Coalition uh, was uh, co-founded uh, with the involvement of Tech de Monterrey, by the way. So um, uh, your institution was, was a key element in the, in the creation. And it's, um, it's a partnership of universities that, um, that are committed to the sustainable development goals. And, and honestly, yeah, I think if there was, if, if there was any doubt uh, before COVID, that um, our destiny as humankind is, is is fully connected that the problems that affect us affect us all that you cannot separate these grand challenges that, that that we're facing as humanity don't stop in any physical any any political borders if you will if there was any doubt those doubts have been dispelled entirely um climate change affects all of us if if, if um, one country is is producing uh, carbon emissions, um, we, we all suffer the consequences. And, and the pandemic has been another, another great example. In fact, I, I think a, a, big, a big shift or, or a big positive impact that, that COVID has had, um, at least in places like Georgia Tech, is, is it's made us even more keenly aware of the importance of what we do, both on the education side and the research side. That um, how, when, when things get really scary, science technology is all we have some people you know we, i think it's it's important to realize that the, the ability that we had as humanity to develop a vaccine that is safe uh that is um that is very very effective within just months of discovering a new virus this is unbelievable it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for 
decades of research in, in places like, like Georgia Tech. But to your point, we all know that there are about there are a number of big challenges that affect all of us. And they have to do with climate change and, and the damage to our environment, but it has to do also with economic opportunity and, and inequality. And, and, and it has to do with, with biodiversity. It has to do with, uh, with, with gender issues and, and, and social issues. And those challenges have been captured very nicely by the Sustainable Development Goals that have been approved by most of our countries. And, and our realization was like, if we are to meet those ambitious goals, it is essential that universities engage because A, we have the science and the technology and B, is we're responsible for educating that new generation of leaders who are gonna make a difference. And that's what the UGC is doing, is to, to collaborate, to exchange um, uh, knowledge, to encourage one another, to figure out how can we do a better job of educating that new generation of leaders who are hopefully gonna bring about new solutions to the big challenges that we all face. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of good stuff that is, um, that is being exchanged, including, by the way, um, it, some of the work that Tech de Monterrey is doing in creating these distributed classes uh, for, with students from, from other countries that are uh, really where you're not just learning about the sustainable development goals in the context of just where you live, but that you're engaging with learners from other places. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have some uh, some colleagues from Tech de Monterrey come to Georgia Tech to present that work because we're very, very interested in how we can utilize and learn from you and utilize some of those experiences here. So that's how the University Global Coalition works. I mean, we exchange best practices, we find partnerships, we collaborate, we encourage one another. That's a, a, a nice uh, um, sort of uh, end, uh, finishing our conversation because we are uh, looking at how uh, educational innovation can help also for us to develop uh, those uh, sustainable development objectives in, in our students and faculty. I, I would like to ask you just a last question. Uh, can you tell us what's, what does the future hold for Georgia Tech? What are the plans that you have? What are you working on? Well, we, 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 are, we are fortunate uh, to be in a, you know, to be an institution that, that has the, the resources, the history, the reputation. We, we attract unbelievable students. We, we bring in um, some of the best faculty in the world. We have resources. With all of those resources come a huge responsibility. And, just uh, right after I returned to Georgia Tech two years ago, we went through a, a process of soul searching and we call it strategic planning, but it was a lot more of soul searching. We, we had thousands, literally thousands of uh, people, students, faculty, staff, uh, CEOs, leaders, donors, foundations, institutions from, uh, from our environment come together and and, um, and, and to respond to that question, what, what is it what, that we need to, to do? And the most important thing that came out of that soul searching process was our mission statement. It says we develop leaders who advance technology and improve the human condition. And, uh, and, and that really is uh, the whole strategic plan connects to that statement. We develop leaders, right? We, we're not just about developing and, and, and training technicians and engineers and, and whatnot. Um, we develop leaders, leaders who can drive change. 
we believe in technology. That we it's in our name. We're Georgia Institute of Technology, just like Tech de Monterrey. We're not shy about that. We believe, but we don't believe in technology just for technology's sake. We believe in technology as a tool to make a positive difference in the world we live in. And uh, so, if you're going to improve the human condition. And it begs the question of what aspects of the human condition need to be improved. And, and, and that requires that we, as an institution, become equally strong in, in science and engineering as we do in, in social sciences. And, and, and we need to have uh, philosophers and historians and psychologists at the table and, and, um, and, and really create an, an ecosystem where we can bring people together from different disciplines to, to achieve those things. So, so that's, that is uh, our commitment. We're, we're committed to amplifying impact. Uh, we're growing. We're right now one of the fastest growing uh, universities in, in, in the U.S. because we believe that that's what we need to do. We, some, some universities pride themselves of, of being small. We actually know. We, we pride ourselves of touching more lives. The more people we can empower to do great things, the better we are. So we're going to grow our research. We're going to grow uh, the, the number of students that, that, we, that we, uh, we serve. And we're going to leverage technology and innovation to be able to do a better job of that. And we, very importantly, we're very committed at expanding access. We need to make sure that careers in science and technology are, are not limited. Right now, we still don't have sufficient women who choose careers in technology fields. We don't have, even in the United States, Hispanic uh, children, Black children don't tend to choose careers in, in, in technology at the same rate as, uh, as others. So we are, because we're large, we, we feel that responsibility of how do we expand access and open the doors of technology to more, to more people of more backgrounds. So we don't lack ambition, challenges, and uh, ideas for the future. You have a, a big ambition and a, and a good one, and I, I'm sure that you will be successful um, Taking into account all the score of your past achievements, uh, uh, I, I wish you success. Thank you, Angel, for your time and for sharing with our audience your thoughts on the future of higher education and also for sharing your text work and knowledge on higher ed. Uh, this talk has been very interesting and enjoyable, and it will surely be of great value to our audience. We look forward to discussing education and Georgia text projects with you again in a future uh, meeting. Have a great day, Angel. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx slash edutrendspodcast and ife.tech.mx. A special thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey, the Institute for the Future of Education, and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer, Miguel Mejia. Edutrends producers, Esteban Venegas and Christian Guijosa. Post-production, Alejandro Sánchez. Stay tuned and play Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content.